0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Thanks, Phil. You guys are awesome. Selfishly, I kind of want you to stay up here and play the whole time. It's like chill, and I feel like it makes me preach better. No, it's okay. <laughs> hey, so in um, whenever I hear someone preach, whether I know them well or I don't know them, I kind of like to know insight into who they are. It kind of helps me know how to receive from their perspective. So you might be sitting here, you might have no idea who I am, and like my husband said, my name is Heidi, and we get the privilege of serving Jesus here at 214 on the leadership team and on the teaching and preaching team, and it is such an honor. Um, We have three kiddos and they are my full-time gig. They're awesome. They are our number one ministry priority right behind our marriage. And we've been in ministry our entire marriage. We are super sticklers about date night, because otherwise I just crash and burn. If I don't get my man's attention, I feel like I'm in mom world all the time. And so my daughter, if she sees me getting ready in the late afternoon, she'll say, are you doing on a daddy date? And I'll say yes, and she, can I come please? And I remind her that she gets her own date with daddy, and this is my time. But um, Kip has a corporate career. He's successful in the IT industry. I homeschool our kiddos, and I'm a podcast host with my sister, Heather, and it's a super fun gig. I love it. But I've got to be super honest. Occasionally, um, I have these mini meltdowns about the pace in which we run, Um, but I haven't had one since Thursday, so (laughs) we're good today. We're good. And when I have those meltdowns, I kind of have this temptation to just throw in all of the ministry towels. And because I'm like, I cannot do all of this. This is too much. And I've got some people that kind of help pull me back on and like encourage me to stay the course. It's coming. Um, In fact, yesterday, this weekend, we were at If Gathering Peoria. And I'm so glad I already had my message written because otherwise you ladies are going to think that I was just like picking off the best of what they were saying because of the things I referenced that were taught over the weekend. And one thing Jesus said to me that was so prophetic. He said it three times. He said, stay the course. And he said it through women who have never met me, who don't know my struggles, who don't know the stress that I have been under um, over the last couple of years. And so I thought it was so um, just precious of Jesus to speak that to me in a season where I was really going like, man, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me anymore. Um, not like the Jesus stuff, just the all the ministry stuff. So I know Jesus is for me. We're, we're good there. But um, I was recently listening to a podcast, and right after the podcast ended, my husband's podcast from his most recent message started playing. And I was instantly, I was brought to tears because the word he gave was so anointed, and it was so straight from Jesus, and it actually kind of made me chuckle a little bit at God's humor because I'm going to jump back 16 years ago when we were dating, um, when we were actually engaged, and there was just a little bit of, or, or a lot of uproar um, about the fact that we were going to be getting married, and. There were a lot of people that had these really strong opinions about the type of guy I would marry. And they were things like, well, we just thought Heidi would marry like this really strong like professional pastor or something. You know, someone that really is passionate about ministry. And um, so this caused a lot of family tension. A lot. Um, and I would... I would have to say, there's a, I was 20 years old, there's a lot of struggles in that that I could have avoided by communicating better, but, you know, you live and you learn, and so I just have to say for sure, for the record, it is 100% safe to say, um, to say Kip, I forgot to tell you in our vows that I was going to wrangle you into this much ministry, and I've asked him to be elated about it, it's, it's been crazy, right? Right? But in these 15 years of marriage, I think the thing that's so incredible is that Kip's an outstanding dad. He's a great husband. He's great in his career. And the craziest part about it is that he is a very strong pastor who preaches. And so here's the point. I'm not just talking about Kip because I like him, which I do. But God's opinions of us always speak louder than the others in the long run. Sometimes the other opinions are pretty loud at the time, but recently Kip had this prophetic word spoken over him that he is a mouthpiece from heaven, that he's glue to bring heaven to earth, that he's an immovable, steady rock. And I would say those are some pretty strong leadership traits about my husband that came from the mouth of God. So what's the point? The point is that the main reason I was determined to marry Kip, other than that he was hot and I thought he was really nice, and um, I mean, we have to keep it real, right? Kip's putting his hat on, he hates, (laughs) he hates getting attention. Uh, (laughs) I was determined to marry him because I had heard the voice of God tell me that I would marry him. No joke, the first night I met him, I heard God say, you're going to marry him. And so we are going to talk today about the voice of God and prophecy. And do not check out, prophecy is not scary. It is not like, like weird voodoo, snake handling stuff. It's real, and it's here today, and we're going to talk about it. So I think that my life and Kip's life, our 15 years of marriage, is a really good example of why God usually shows us one step at a time in our lives. Because I'm confident, had God shown us five steps ahead, we'd have been like, heck No. Absolutely not. Too much hurts, too much struggle, too much difficulty. I think even if he'd shown us two steps ahead, we would have been like, out. We're going to bail. Because, guys, ministry for us has really never been glamorous. It's never been easy. It's always been difficult. But Jesus has been so good to us. He has been the one that has defended us when people people were cruel. He has been the one that got us back up and going when it was really hard and hurtful. He's been the one that has gone, yeah, you've experienced some hurt, but you know what? You still love me enough and people enough to keep doing this. And so that's why we're in ministry, is because we love Jesus and we love people. And I think someone might need to hear that today. Whatever your ministry is, you might be in corporate America, that's your ministry field. And you're there because you love people and you love Jesus. So stay the course, okay? Stay the course. I'm going to tell you three stories of... God's voice speaking directly to me. When I preach, I love to tell stories because I'm a story learner. Um, So three stories, back to back. The first story happened four and a half years ago and the first knowledge I ever had of this church is um, a Thursday morning at three in the morning and suddenly God woke me up and I heard him say, you're going to start a church. And I did what all moms know how to do. I just pretended that I was asleep. (laughs) Because I did not want to start a church and so I just rolled over and went right back to sleep and in his faithfulness he woke me up again and he spoke the same words you're going to start a church and I fell back asleep and then the third time he woke me up he said you're going to start a church and so I finally gave in and I said Jesus that sounds so impossible what would that even look like? Because here's the reality. I knew it wasn't impossible. I know that it's possible to start a church because we had just come out of a seven-year season of starting a church. So I knew it was fully possible. I knew that the frontline work was so difficult. I knew the attacks are real. And I was kind of ready to be done with attacks for a while. And so also the the timing was so inconvenient of Jesus. He um, didn't realize, I don't think, that I had a newborn baby. And so I was just like, God, this is such a terrible idea, <laughs> says the front row. But God was so faithful because I woke up the next morning, and I, of course, told no one because I thought my people would think I was crazy, like, she's just sleep-deprived. Don't, don't listen. Um, but I did pray about it. I started to pray. And a couple days later, Chris Taves and Heather Taves, my sister and brother-in-law, are standing in my living room. And Chris gets teary-eyed, which is not uncommon. And he says, "Um, you might want to sit down. We have some news for you. And I'm like, they're finally pregnant again. (laughs) And he says, I think we're supposed to start a church. And I started crying, too, because I had a newborn. And I said, oh my word, God woke me up on Thursday morning and he told me three times, he told me. And Chris said, God told me on Thursday morning. And I was like, okay, well now you need to sit down because there's some more news. Um, God gave me some information about you. Um, I think you're supposed to lead the charge. And he said, I know, God, God told me. And so God speaking that word about Chris Taves to me on a Thursday morning at three in the morning was so important because Chris has been the visionary for helping bring all of us leadership the next step, and the next step, and the next step. And he's been steady, and he's been faithful, and he's been humble. And that is why we're experiencing spiritual growth here. So. You know, God's spoken to me about some really profound things in my life, like Mary start started church, but I kind of wanted God to start showing up in the ordinary moments, too. Like, hey, God, it stressed me out to potty train my second son. Um, my third daughter's coming up, ah! and then she just got potty trained by herself. Like, amazing. God just showed up. So I wanted God influencing every single aspect of my entire life, not just the big moments, not just who am I going to marry What's next in ministry? Um, I wanted him in every single part of it. So the second story, um, actually, before I jump into that, I want to just share something here really quick. Um, We're studying the book about Habakkuk, and it's a book of prophecy in that time, in Habakkuk's time. And today we're going to talk a lot about it because I think we have to ask God to open our eyes and our ears to hear what he's speaking to people today because it might matter, we're listening to some prophecies from Habakkuk that were just way longer ago, and now they're affecting us today. They're they're affecting the words coming out of a pulpit today. And so we've got to say, God, we want to hear from you. We want to understand what you're saying. So will you show up in the ordinary moments every single day? And um, before we get on to my next two stories. Phil kicked off this series in a really, really profound way two weeks ago. He shared about this really broken state that he's been walking through. And the thing that caught my attention about Phil's message was verse 1, chapter 5. And I was sort of jealous that he got to preach that chapter because of this verse. It says, The Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you would not believe even if someone told you about it. And I was so convicted by that because I've been that person who has had unbelief for what God was doing in my day before. And I'm sure many of you have too. You've been the one that doubted. So, guys, I want us to be people that believe God at His Word and we believe God at His work today. It's so important. Okay, so the second story happened three weeks ago. Um, Again, I was suddenly awakened in the middle of night, 3 a.m. I I don't know if it's just because I'm quiet then or what, but he woke me up, and I, I immediately knew. I'm laying on my side, and I knew that God was there. And I roll over, and at the foot of my bed is this massive form, huge. Now, I've had home invasion, so I knew it wasn't a home invasion because I had complete peace. And the voice of God said, I have anointed you. And I rolled over to look at Kip. Surely he had seen this and heard this. And he was asleep. And so I said nothing. And I fell back asleep later after I processed it. And before I fell asleep, I felt strongly, the Lord put it on my heart, that that was not just for me personally. It was for you guys too. It was for Church 214 to say, I have anointed you. And yesterday at If Gathering, God spoke Friday, actually, to me and said a person's name. And he said, I have anointed her. And then I text her that, and she probably thought, oh, my gosh, my pastors are so crazy. But I wanted her to know that because those words from Jesus are so important over our lives. And so the next morning, I woke up, and I'm like, babe, you're not going to believe this. God showed up, and he was talking to me. And, and then I looked at you to see if you were awake, and you were asleep. And he's like, oh, no, I was awake. I saw you wake up and look at me. And I'm thinking, what, you know how to pretend sleep, too? Hello, I'm a girl. I want to talk these things out. But here's the thing, when you ask God for more, when you're asking him to show up, he shows up and he speaks. You've just got to go, God, how do you speak to me? What is it I need to know that the way you speak to me? The third story, we had hired, um, we had asked a gentleman to come into our home to give us a quote on some paintwork. This older gentleman opens the door, this genuine deep smile, this deep accent, he's from this beautiful tropical island, and so clearly he chose to move to Peoria, and he comes in my house and he's looking at the paint and he's like, yeah, I see the, I see the struggle. I, I Here's what we could do. And he's talking about paint and he suddenly stops and he looks at me and he says, are you a believer in Jesus? Sort of like that. <laughs> I was like Scottish me, British. I don't know. I'm just going to talk normal for him. Um, and I said, yeah, I am. How did, how did you know that? And he goes, well, I'm a believer in Jesus and I can sense him here. And later, I'm like looking around like, what did he see that was the marker of faith that made him know? And the Bibles were put away from the morning. And I'm a minimalist, so I don't have anything on my wall that like screams, I love Jesus. I probably should, but I don't. And I just thought like, God, you're so cool to remind me that you're here and that people can sense you in my space. And the very next morning... I wake up and I'm reading the Bible that um, my scheduled reading for the day, that's like the date and what I'm supposed to read, and I open it up, and here's what I read: Job 29:4: "God's friendship was felt in my home." No joke, you cannot make this stuff up. So God is speaking so personally to me, and He's speaking personally to you, and I desperately want you to ask Him, "God, let me sense you. Let me see you, let me hear you, let me feel you, because He will. This is not just for the leadership team. This is for you. God's voice is for you. And prophecy and God's voice is not for just Habakkuk in the old times. It is for you today. So I want you to ask him. So at 2.14, we're really passionate about you guys understanding the Bible. It can be confusing. If you're not reading it in the right context, if you don't understand... The kind of the flow of it and the, the stories that are all woven together from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it can feel contradictory. it can feel like there's tension. So we really want to equip you with God's word. And so we chose this book, Habakkuk," because pretty much no one even knows it's in the Bible, so we thought we should start there. Um, heaven forbid we'd go old school and make you find it quickly in your Bible, because you all would be like, "I have to go to the bathroom. I can't participate right now. Right? But yeah, I mean, Phil knows where it's at, and Christy, because they preached on it. That's probably it. And Heather, probably. But um, so here's some little information about Habakkuk, okay? So Habakkuk is towards the very end of the Old Testament. It is the fifth book in the 12 minor prophets. And you're like, are the 12 minor prophets here? Are they where? They're the last books in the Old Testament. Okay? And the thing about the 12 minor prophets is they don't get a ton of screen time. You know, they're not Matthew, they're not Psalms, but they are so important because they hold so much prophecy that helped create Judaism, that helps create Christianity. And so... Those prophecies are still being fulfilled today, and that's why it's important for us to know about them. They're not just old school. Um, so seven of, the, seven of the scrolls of the Minor Prophets were found among the scrolls of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like, that's incredible to me, I think. Habakkuk has just three chapters. It's very brief. It's very short. And the first two are this dialogue between Yahweh, who the Hebrews would say Yahweh, or God, and this prophet Habakkuk. And it's a prophecy that belongs to the time period between 625 B.C. all the way to 607 B.C. That's the the oracles that he wrote in that early 7th century. Um, It was a time when, um, before Babylon, Babylon had conquered Judah. It was before that, okay? So... Phil opens this message and he shares this vulnerable story about being super broken. And I'm thinking, like, how is he going to tie this into Habakkuk? You know, but I think it's so important that we can look at a Bible story and we can look at a leader and we can see their transparency because it reminds us, like, they are broken, we are broken, and we all have to have Jesus central in our life in order for this story to make sense because the book of Habakkuk doesn't really make a lot of sense if you just read it and take it at face value. Okay, So I loved how Phil was able to pull in his perspective of what the Bible says is Habakkuk complaining, and then Phil brought in his perspective, and it brought this insight and this um, enlightenment into what the Bible means. So you can check that out on podcast. But um, chapter one is just Habakkuk giving God this super raw complaint, and um, Jerusalem's not been conquered, but Habakkuk knows that the fall of it is imminent, because the Babylonians are just sweeping westward, and they're conquering city after city, and they are over over. They're just taking over. So it's coming. So that's chapter one. They're talking all about that that's coming. And the prophet addresses these questions with God. God, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? And God says, or God is silent. And, and it's just crazy because it's like, okay, God is going to potentially allow his people who are being wicked to be overcome by people that are being even more wicked. That doesn't seem very just or fair. And I've been there. I I see people that are so godly getting just tormented by the enemy, like just pulverized, beat to smithereens. And I'm thinking, God, where are you? This is not just. You know what they've done for the kingdom? And that's kind of where Habakkuk was like, hey, God, are you aware of this? Do you see what's coming? So Habakkuk gets his first complaint answered. God gives him an answer, and then he just launches right into a second complaint in chapter 2, which is just curious to me. But Christy shared last week this really great message on the the second chapter in Habakkuk. And the thing I love about the second chapter is Habakkuk is so bold. He is for sure an 8 on the Enneagram. Because he's just straightforward. He's gutsy. And he says, he opens the chapter by saying, I will climb to my watchtower, and I will stand at my guard post, and there I will wait, and I will see what the Lord says about how he's going to answer my complaint. He just puts it out there. Now, in that time of history, a guard post was along the city wall, and they were up in the tower to just see what was happening, see what was coming. And the thing about this that I think Habakkuk was representing to God is people would stand in that watchtower for messengers, for runners, they were called. A runner was somebody that could be trusted implicitly because they were in the king's courts and they would have messages on clay tablets and they would be sent to take it to other kings. And they would have to be warriors that were strong that could defend people who maybe wanted to intercept the message or change the message. And they had to be able to bring the message appropriately correct message. So I think Habakkuk was using it as a physical sign of, God, I am fully expecting you to bring a message, and I intend on collecting it myself. So that's why he was in the watchtower. And then God responds to Habakkuk, and he says, I'm going to deal with the wicked in my own way, in my own time, but the righteous will live by his faith. Okay, now hang with me. This, is, this can feel confusing, but this is so important. The Hebrew word for faith that's used in Habakkuk 2.4 is related to the word amon. And it denotes not only belief in something, but a complete reliance or trust in something or someone. Now, the Hebrew word amon actually means firm, something that is supported or secure, And that word is used in Isaiah multiple times, and it means a nail that is fastened to a secure place. You know what I picture when I picture a nail fastened to a secure place? Not my pictures hanging. I don't have them hanging, you know, because I'm minimalist. But I picture the hands and the feet of Jesus, the ultimate secure place, the symbol of I am your secure place. I am the person of safety that you can fully rely on. That is what I picture when I see that word secure place. And then derived from the root word, hang with me, is this word immune meaning craftsman. Now a craftsman, we've got many of you here, a craftsman is someone who is firm and secure in his talent or her talent. And there's a feminine form of immune," and it's immuna It means firmness. Someone firm in their actions. The Hebrew word emunah is very often translated in English to faith. And it is often misunderstood by us because faith to us is a little too simplistic. But what it means in Hebrew is not just a knowing like we would hear it as. It is a firm action. So to have faith in Elohim for the Hebrews would be not just knowing that he exists, not just knowing that he moves and speaks, rather to have amyuna faith would be that you know he is going to act on your behalf according to his will. Jesus gave us amyuna faith in his father's instruction when he went to the cross for us. That was his action, that was his act of faith in God his Father. So you could read that Hebrew passage as, the righteous shall live by their firm, complete reliance, their aman, on Elohim. Or the righteous shall live by their firm action, emunah, toward Elohim's will. See, because it's not enough for us just to know that God exists. We have to have this firm action and complete reliance on him according to his will. So I chose to marry Kip, despite the uproar, because of complete reliance on knowing that God had spoken to me. I don't, I'm not sure how that would have turned out, had God not been so bold and, and spoken so clearly. I don't know if I would have been able to make it through um, the chaos. It was, it was hard. And there's a lot of things I could have avoided. I did not lend to the situation. But the thing is, like, it... It allowed me to walk through a season of brokenness that I needed because the brokenness that I walked through taught me the miracle of being whole. And it was so important. And I think someone needs to know that your brokenness that you're in right now is your journey to being whole. So we're going to go to chapter 3. Habakkuk um, actually sings this prophecy. So chapter 3, verse 1, the prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. Church, we cannot underestimate the power of praise because I think that praise brings the breakthrough and the promise. I have heard all about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. Habakkuk says this before Jesus comes to earth, before there's proof that Jesus is going to come. He says this, I'm filled with awe in who you are. Before Habakkuk starts to tell God his complaint, or his need, he is acknowledging his presence, acknowledging that God. I expect you to hear me, and I think you guys need to do that too. Before your need is uttered to God, acknowledge Him, praise Him, because it changes the posture of your heart when you go to the Father with your complaint or your need. Verse two. In this time of deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by, and in your anger, remember your mercy. So Habakkuk here is building his own faith. He's reminding himself, like Phil said, we remember you being victorious to us, God, in the past. We believe prophetically you're going to be victorious to us again. He is building his own faith in God. So Habakkuk's not just content to sit there and wait. He's going, prophetically, I am going to speak the movement out right now. Verse 3, I see God moving across the deserts of Edom and the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. And the sunrise and the sunset to me is so personal because that is often how God speaks to me. I'll see it and I think, man, the sun is so submitted to God, to his voice. It is content to rule the day and then submit to the moon to rule at night, because that was God's will for it. And it reminds me, like, just stay in God's will. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Jump to verse 6. The sun rises to one end of the heavens, and it follows its course to the other end that submission to God's will, to Elohim's will. A few months ago, this older gentleman who does not know me at all spoke this encouraging word or this prophetic word over me, you could call it. And he says, Heidi, I have a picture of this huge mountain and you're up on it and you're just there on the mountain and you're just soaking in God's presence. And he said, I think there's a part of your heart that being in nature and seeing it, it brings you closer to God and it speaks of his presence to you and I'll be honest I started to freak out a little bit because I thought oh my gosh he has the wrong person my husband's sitting next to me and he's the nature guy like he is the deer slaying bow hunting mountain climbing elk killing that's prophetic this this fall elk killing hunter he's the nature guy like that's his sanctuary like oh my goodness he got the wrong person And it took me listening back to it to realize just how right on it was because he went on to say, nature speaks to you, Heidi, of the creativity of the Lord and of his attention to the most minute detail. If you know me, you know I'm a details girl. So the word was for me, but I almost missed the blessing because I was freaking out that it was the wrong word. I was freaking out that God was telling the wrong person. You know, human error. The root of that was me wanting to control the receptor of the word, because I really wanted my husband to have a positive experience that day. I thought, whoa, how amazing. If he was like, Kip, I think nature speaks to you, right? That would have been too obvious. (laughs) But guys, if you're hanging out with people who are doubting the word of God, the prophecies of God, the people of God who are being used in a prophetic way, you need to get some new influencers spiritually, okay? Um, I'm not talking about unbelievers hang out with the unbelievers love on them show them Jesus do that for sure I'm talking about people who claim to know and love Jesus and are hating on his church are hating on the way God's moving like hey Habakkuk don't doubt what I'm doing in your day hey believers don't doubt what I'm doing in your day if you're hanging out with Debbie Downers and doubters get some new friends (laughs) thanks Chris you're my favorite listener Verse 3, I have to rush on. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows closely behind him. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the mountains tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains, and he levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. Here he is again. Before there's proof of Jesus and eternal life, he's talking about who Jesus is going to be to us, the eternal one. How much easier is it for us to believe today? Because we know Jesus came. We know he did what he said he would do, and we know he's coming again, and yet we still stand in unbelief so often. God, are you sure that's the right word? Yeah, pretty sure. I'm God. Verse 7, I see the people of Kishon in distress and and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in your anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and you parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. And so you're sitting here today, and you might be in distress. You might be trembling in terror for what's going on around you. And you need to tell yourself prophetically, God is about to save me. Yeah. You brandished your bow and your, quiver and, full, you, and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and moon stood still in the sky as the brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and you trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people to save your anointed ones. Church, you are part of that. You are part of his anointed ones. You are part of the people that he is moving forward for. You crushed the heads of the wicked. You stripped their bones from head to toe. With your own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses, and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. If you've ever seen God show up for you, you are going to tremble, and you are going to shake in crazy awe of who he is. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. And this next part is so important. Do not miss this. Verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, these, even those statements, you guys, are showing the intense need that surrounded the people of Habakkuk's time. So fig trees with no blossoms meant no food. Grapevines with no grapes meant the drink they needed to be sustained because water would go stagnant. They couldn't transport it for very long. They had to have wine to be able to have the nourishment they needed. None of that was becoming available to them. They had to have it for survival. And furthermore, on a spiritual level, the crops were failed in the olive fields. So that meant no oil for cooking, no bread, no food. Olive oil is what was used as the sign of God's anointing. So no olives meant no olive oil, and it meant no anointing from God. Flocks dying in the field. The cattle barns are empty. It means there's no new life being produced. Without animals being born, human life cannot be sustained. So the most desperate situations Habakkuk sees his people experiencing, and he says, God, even though we're desperate, even if the Babylonians don't obliterate us, we're surely going to die of starvation or no wine first. The moms are laughing. Guys, when our fridge is empty or our freezer is barren, no worries, just call Grubhub or order Instacart. It comes right to your doorstep. We have no idea what desperate looks like in our culture today. But despite desperation, Habakkuk says this in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation, because the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He is praising God before the victory shows up. Friends, some of you are in a really broken place right now. And some of you need to know that it is time for you to start praising him before your victory shows up. Someone on the podcast, you feel like in the natural sense, your hope is completely lost. Whatever is happening in your life, it feels so desperate. like You can't even catch your next breath without it being labored. I've walked through a fair amount of brokenness. And I know it can feel so desperate, but I'm also currently standing on the other side of brokenness, and I'm telling you, God is going to bring you through this. God is going to be merciful to you. God is going to be faithful to you. The thing that I've learned about brokenness is when you've been so broken, you finally understand the miracle of being whole. Jesus came to make you whole. He has this way of allowing us to be rebuilt after we're shattered, after we're crushed. Charles Spurgeon said this, You will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ. Life can only be found through the life giver. His name is Jesus. You guys, sin and sickness has to bow to Jesus. He wants you to know him, not just acknowledge him, not just the faith that we talk about in America, like, yeah, I know God. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have the complete security of who he is, to trust that he's your secure place. He wants you to know as soon as you hear his voice that it is God the Father because you have been in community with him. So Habakkuk is prophetically praying this praise to God before the breakthrough, and he's reminding himself God's been faithful in my past and God is going to be faithful again. I want you all to get on your feet. In your broken state, I want you to close your eyes right now. Don't worry about your neighbor. I want you to say, I want you to just ask yourself, how has God been faithful to me in the past? And I want you to picture whatever it was, even if it's super small, how has God been faithful to you? You know how I know he's been faithful to you? Because you're standing here, and you have breath in your lungs. No matter how labored that breathing is, the breath in your lungs is proof of his faithfulness to you. Some of you need to climb to your watchtower right now, and you need to do it as proof that you're waiting on God's answer. Guys, we're going to do battle for some people who are here right now. If you're listening on the podcast and you're in the middle of battle, I want you to stand in your living room because the Spirit of God is just as present with you as it is here. And as we recall God's faithfulness in the past, we're going to start to praise him in the middle of our broken self. So in the middle of being broken, if that's you, I want you to be so bold and so brave. And I want you to come to the front right up here by these carpets. And I want you to just stand. And this is going to be your signal to God. Like, God, I'm climbing to my watchtower. And I'm fully expecting you to show up with the message. And I fully intend to be the one that receives the message from you. I don't want you to be worried about it. We're not going to ask you what your broken is. We are just going to praise alongside you, believing that your victory is coming. So you can start making your way right now. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Make your way right now. Praise always precedes the breakthrough. Habakkuk's day was so full of brokenness. And so you might be going, well, what was the point of his story? It seems kind of like evil one because 21 years after those prophecies The whole area was overcome and overtaken by Babylon. And the temple of God was destroyed. And so it kind of feels like his faith was wasted. And it kind of feels like God didn't listen. And it kind of feels like it just fell on the deaf ears of a God that didn't care. But there was fruit. You know what the fruit was? Look up at this timeline really quick. So the prophecies of Habakkuk were 625 to 607 B.C. The first temple was destroyed by Babylon in 586 B.C. And the captives were, there were captives taken as prisoners, as slaves, God's people. The second temple was rebuilt by the generations of those captives. It was completed in 516 before Christ. That temple that they built in their brokenness lasted 586 years. Seventy years after Jesus walked this earth, the temple was still standing. And you know what? Today, you are his temple. You might feel like you are just shattered in so many ruins that it is impossible for you to be rebuilt. But God is the master of refurbishing your life. Do you know that temple that was rebuilt? It was bigger and better and more magnificent than the first one. And the reason you can recognize that it was better is because it had been broken. So, if you're lying in physical ruins, mental or emotional ruins right now, you might feel spiritually dead. God's about to build you in the most magnificent way. Through your broken state, through your imperfections. Habakkuk's bold faith and complete reliance in God started showing up over a hundred years after his prophecies. You have no idea the effect of your faith on generations to come. It might be your great, great grandsons that get the fruit of your faith. You might never see it, but God. So church, we're going to pray for these broken states that people are in. Jesus, we want you to see us in our watchtower because we fully expect that you're sending the message. We fully expect that you're going to show up, God. We fully expect that you're going to be faithful to us and bring the like you have in the past God we just ask right now for every situation in this room God those that are known of and those that are not known Jesus would you just begin to invade those situations I pray a hedge of protection around each individual standing in this room Father would you send your host of angels to start ministering to these people Church if you are not up here and you want to come and be around someone up here just join them, join them up here you can lay your hands on them as, the, as a sign that you are going to agree with the, with the victory that's coming for their life. Agree with the victory that's coming. Because right now, there's victory coming right now. There's victory coming right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we trust you so much. God, we want our faith to be like the faith that follows God's will no matter what. Just like you, Jesus, going to the cross. When you said, God, whatever your will is. That is what I will do. That is the type of faith I am going to have. So right now, as you pray, and as you just quiet yourself before Jesus, you take that spirit of Habakkuk and you go, God, I'm going to wait here until you bring your message, until I can begin to understand that your face is back in front of me. You've been so silent, but you're about to speak and you're about to move, and I'm going to be the receiver of the message. In Jesus' name I pray. All right, you guys can stay there, Phil. Let's praise before the victories, okay? We're going to praise these victories in. So if you want to stay on your knees, you can. If you want to get on your feet, you can. But we are going to praise before the breakthrough because this is prophetic right now, and we're going to see lives begin to be rebuilt after this day in the name of Jesus.